Welcome to Truth Well Spoken, the official podcast for McCann Health and an opportunity to connect across disciplines, companies, and countries in our mutual pursuit of endless truth seeking. I'm your host today, Kendall Coletti. I'm a strategist here at MHNJ, and we're gonna be discussing what it means to have a social media presence as a pharma brand and company, all the nuances with that, how it differs from typical brands, and the ways that it can be done right and wrong. So today I'm joined by my colleague, Zakia Miller. And Zakia, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and explain your experience with social media? Of course. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm Zakia Miller. I am the social strategy director. What that really means is I am putting together strategies, tactics, campaigns for a brand social presence. I got started out in magazine publishing years ago when that was our form of social media and have really evolved in that marketing process and how we now translate that to social for pharma brands. That's awesome. And that's great for today. Of course, every brand really should have their message out there on social. And so that's very important for, you know, myself, I'm a member of Gen Z and social media is extremely valuable for every generation, but especially Gen Z, having brands be able to be transparent and approachable on social media. And it does sometimes seem that pharma is left out of that a bit, kind of a hesitancy to be on social. Do you have any insight into that? Why do you think that might be and why is it kind of handled differently than any other consumer brand being on social media? So when you look at any other consumer brand on social media, they do not have the regulatory or compliance uh, necessary for us. Anything in health and wellness, and you're even seeing it now with some more like lifestyle health brands like vitamins and such, they also now are being required to include disclaimers. So just like if you see a pharma commercial on TV or if you hear a radio ad on pharma, you are going to hear those disclaimers. And so social media after it was adopted, everyone was using it and pharma started to get into it. The FDA kind of like came in and said like, okay, there have to be some regulations of what can be said, what can be posted for social media for pharma brands. And so that's why we have really like three different steps that we have to go through in order to get any content that you see on social media approved. There's an internal process, an external process with the client. Then you have a legal regulatory compliance step as well. And then sometimes even some of the platforms, especially Meta, are also going to double check and to make sure that they are compliant. So there's just more red tape when it comes to pharma and social media, but it's not a reason that you should not be on it. When you hire an agency to do your social media, they understand and know these compliance issues and regulatory. And so we know how to work with legal teams to make sure that the content has the messaging and it still has an impact, but it is also compliant. Right. Yeah, I know that makes sense. And that's very interesting just how different it is to have to jump through all those hoops. And so as you're saying, it is still absolutely worth the effort for pharma brands to have that presence on social media, even though they have to go through all these regulatory and legal compliances. Yeah, absolutely. Because again, like, you know, in the beginning when a brand is maybe just starting out, there can be a lot of red tape. There is a lot of setup that happens before any page ever goes live for pharma. So in some cases you are working three, six, ideally like at least a year or so out when you're going to build a brand strategy on social and pharma, just so that you can put the direct 
parameters in place. And that could be sometimes training with clients and regulatory teams so that they understand social media, how we can show up on social media, if it's a branded versus unbranded, because those things also change with what you can do on social. But then you have, are we going to turn comments on? Are we going to turn them off? So these are all the things that you use to set up to make sure that when you are ready to go live on social, you have processes and policies in place so that you know how to handle anything that can happen on social media. Because obviously that's also a big deterrent for pharma is once you open yourself up, and especially if you turn comments on, you're opening yourself up to ridicule. You're opening yourself up in some cases, possibly adverse event reports or just negative reputation and talk about a brand. And so I think that's why pharma especially is really scared to really like take the leap and go on social. But I will say in so many cases, I have seen where opening comments on social media on brands has done something for customer service and pharma that you don't necessarily see everywhere else. It is a patient going on and actually complaining about something and support services stepping in to rectify the situation. And then you see those patients come back and say, oh my goodness, thank you so much. I can't believe you actually called me or you made sure this was delivered or whatever the case is. So I think that you also find some really cool insights on social media about what your patients need. Are there any unmet needs that you possibly could fulfill or any needs for services and support that patients are sharing grievances on that you could kind of come in and fill that void? Absolutely. And you saying that is very interesting because of the regulatory issues. A lot of brands would just end up turning off comments so that they don't have to deal with it. But social media is really supposed to be a place to have discussion and conversation. And without that, it's really just brands speaking with no dialogue or conversation. It's just them putting things out there and no one able to really interact with it. But for you to say, you know, having those comments on there is very important to be able to hear what patients are saying, to even have doctors be able to interact. Are you seeing that happening where patients and doctors are both interacting with one another? So I would actually say, so turning comments on is something that I always recommend. I always do. And in some cases, if teams aren't ready to do it, that's fine. Let's still get on social because at any point we can turn comments on. If we have to start with comments off, I will do that. But what I'm finding when you do turn those comments on, you're sending it to a certain group. So if we're sending it to HCPs, I do expect, and we do see that HCPs are actually commenting because it's peer-to-peer post oftentimes. Someone is saying something, maybe someone responds or asks a question. And then on the patient side, we see same thing, a lot of like comments or questions or concerns. But the one thing that we are missing oftentimes is an HCP speaking directly to a patient. And that's where KOL and patient ambassadors really can fill the void there because you have the opportunity to have patients educating HCPs and vice versa, HCPs educating the patient. Yeah, that's very interesting. And that would be extremely valuable. And you kind of were touching on, you know, the targeting. And so that kind of brings us into a bit of that discussion of like paid advertising on social media with brands as opposed to just organic content that's just being posted, you know, with some sort of regular cadence. Can you kind of go into a little bit of those nuances with social? When you look at an organic social presence, it's really just meaning that you are owning a page and that you will post that content directly to that page. So it will show up in feed if someone is following you, for instance. But for the most part, if someone wants to go onto your brand page, they can find all of your content that lives there. And this is great when you have 
a ton of followers and you know people are engaging and interacting with your brand page. But if you don't have a lot of followers and you're just building out a social presence, you really do need to put a paid media budget behind it because you're just not going to get the reach that you will when you just are posting organically. It requires that someone either is following you or they actually come to your page. Whereas when you do paid media behind post, you have the opportunity to target people based on either their interest or the things that they interact with, demographics or geographical locations, so that you can make sure and you can kind of qualify your leads to make sure that you are actually reaching the audience that you're intended to. And you can't do that with organic. You just kind of like hope that it lands and that it gets to the right people, but at least when you paid, you'd know that it's getting there. And you're also obviously gonna see more return on your investment behind paid because you can actually see those click-through rates and the other metrics that come through. Right. What are the ones that tend to be used the most by pharma or what are these different social media platforms really doing to incentivize pharma to be on them and to actually use them, knowing that they require all of these regulatory and legal aspects to it? So I am seeing for the most part, most brands will start and sometimes only stay on Facebook. That's obviously a big one and an easy one. And regardless still of age, yes, it does skew a little bit older, but you still do have some younger people talking, especially when it comes to rare diseases. So Facebook is like number one. I think Instagram kind of naturally falls in there because they're both owned by Meta. And Meta, they work with pharma to make sure that they have the policies in place on their end so that pharma can be compliant. So I can give you an example of just how well they work with us. They were doing a new page experience where they were changing the actual layout of the page. And when this came out, pharma was like, wait a minute, this is going to change how our page looks. We're no longer going to be compliant. The things that we need to include on our page are not going to be there. So Meta ended up pushing back the release date for this new page by months until they figured out and worked with. So they're willing to really work with pharma brands and make sure that they can show up in the space and be compliant. So that's one thing I think that is an easy sell for clients who are a little hesitant into going into social. I think Meta is definitely the place to go. Twitter, especially for corporate communications, Twitter and LinkedIn for corporate communications, industry news, things like that. But then you do have a lot of biopharma showing up in Twitter as well. Reddit is actually an amazing platform for pharma because what we do is we often find a lot of our patients are there and they're being very honest and very vulnerable about their patient journey, where they are. They're asking treatment questions. They're asking for specialist information, all of these things of like different coping mechanisms and things. And because there's a little bit more anonymity in Reddit, we find that the conversations, even though they are public and open are still more vulnerable because you really are just a profile name. There's no pictures, none of that associated, unlike a Facebook, Instagram, who are really run by photo and video. And then finally, it's TikToks. Pharma has been really slow to adopt TikTok. You do have a few brands that are out there, but they're being very cautious and very like, you know, just want to make sure that they are being compliant. But what I have recently found is that TikTok is also now engaging with health and wellness brands and agencies so that they can make sure, just like Meta had to do and kind of like by trial by error, figure out what it is that pharma brands need in order to be compliant. So TikTok now has a function where ISI can be displayed on videos and things like that. So I think that TikTok no matter what kind of brand you are, no matter who your patient audience is, no matter if it's rare 
or not, that TikTok is an excellent place to be because of the engagement. No one really can match the engagement that TikTok has, not even Facebook. So it's something that I try to push my brands to. And a lot of it is really going to start with just education and why you need to be there and the parameters, again, that we're going to put in place to make sure that we can do it compliantly. It depends on when you look at your audience and your disease state and what your brand is, you kind of have to figure out which one makes the most sense. We do that through like social listening to understand what the patients or HCPs are saying about a particular disease state or brand or treatment. And then figuring out, okay, well, the volume of the conversation is actually on Facebook. So we need to be on Facebook or we have a lot of people talking on Instagram and Reddit. So, you know, maybe there's an opportunity, maybe you don't open up an official Reddit page, but you could still run paid media because your audience is there. Right. And that makes a lot of sense. You know, brands shouldn't just open up a account on every single social media platform and have the same content on everything. You know, like you said, it's all about finding out where your audience is and what they're really looking for. It's very cool to hear that all these platforms are really willing to work with pharma and understand all of these different hoops that have to be jumped through and willing to help and make that easier for them. And something you said around TikTok, I really agree with in terms of the importance of being on there. And there's also a perception that it's a much younger audience, but that's a great place to meet people where they're at, especially when it comes to healthcare. You know, TikTok is more and more seen as like Google. People will search up their symptoms or search up their diagnosis or the treatment that they were just prescribed and want to hear from real people. And even do you see like doctors that are also on there as well? Yeah. So I think it's Gen Z. I'm pretty sure just there was a study release that said that they go to TikTok for health advice before even turning to a doctor. Wow. Um, and I think that's going to continue to happen. I think that you'll even see millennials as well, again, starting to go to social first, especially TikTok to learn about their different health and wellness needs. Healthcare professionals are also the leading profession on TikTok. And on most of these cases, you're seeing healthcare professionals talk about a disease state, a treatment option, what you should know, general just information, different treatments that could be available to them, different coping mechanisms, alternative therapies and things like that as well. So this is one place for TikTok where it is crossing over, where you have HCPs talking directly to patients. I don't see as much HCP peer-to-peer communication. So I think that the platform is really patient forward. And so I think it's an awesome opportunity to have KOLs teaching patients. And because obviously, you know, with social, there comes a lot of misinformation and you want to make sure that patients are getting the right information so that they can make informed decisions. Absolutely. And so... What kind of pharma brands are you seeing that kind of tend to do better on social? Are there any that kind of stand out because of the certain area that they're in? You know, I really think the one that stand out, anyone can stand out in any category. It just has to make sure that your content is tailored to your audience. You can't slap a banner ad meant for a landing page on social and think that it's going to do the same thing for you. So... It's really important that you know your audience, you know the nuances or the languages that they are using so that you can model that so that they can relate to it. 
Another big thing is patient ambassadors. People want to see real people who understand and know what it's like to live in their shoes. And so to do that, you really do need the people who are affected by these diseases. And they can do it from an unbranded perspective. It's just disease education and awareness. Or you can do it from a branded perspective of, you know, this is my journey to treatment on X, Y, and Z brand. But we find that, especially in pharma, that there is mistrust with the general public. So when you can have a real person, a real HCP speaking, that's giving like real world advice or real world experience, it can really change the perception and the sentiment toward a brand. So again, it can be any industry within pharma or any disease state essentially that has the opportunity to do really well in pharma. I will say that it's important that you can't just be disease ed or you can't just be treatment treatment. There has to be fair balance. You also need to think about the lifestyle of what that means for someone who's like living with this disease. What other things besides making sure that they get on treatment and stay on treatment can you be giving them? Is there any supplemental education? Are there webinars in their area? Are there advocacy groups that they should be in touch with? So those are the other things and the other type of content beyond just selling. You can't just sell to anyone. You have to make sure that you are adding value to someone's life. And so if I see in a post, okay, yesterday you sold me, today you just want to make sure that I'm taking care of my mental health. And so there's a quick tip on take a break or whatever the case may be. So it, it really still needs to have like a lifestyle component to it, even in pharma. And there's a way to do that when you, again, know your audience, know who you're talking to and the things that affect them day to day. Right. That makes sense. What really is making a good social media presence is understanding who you're speaking to, understanding everything about them rather than just their disease and their treatment. So kind of going off of that, I feel that there's a misperception a bit around rare disease on social that, you know, if you have such a small patient population that maybe it's not worth it to be on social media. Do you still see that there's value in that? Absolutely. In fact, when you have a rare disease and these ultra rare diseases, it's even more important that you're on social because unlike when you have a disease that is affecting so many people, they can find local support where they can actually go in person, meet other people and interact with other people. But when you are in these like ultra rare and rare diseases, they might not know anyone who else has this disease in their town, in their city, you know. So it's important because they're often looking for that community and they turn to social to find it. It went from who you knew personally before social to now there's this global community that you can tap into with social and as it relates to different disease states and in the rare disease, you find that's exactly where they are because they just don't have that in-person, that local support that they need. And all patients need some sort of support. Yeah. And that is really amazing to have the opportunity to really grow a virtual community when you can't do that. If the patient population is spread around the country and the world, to be able to still have that connection online is very important. Switching gears slightly, I know you mentioned all the different regulatory and compliance issues that pharma has to face on social media. Of course, a huge part of social media is trends, and those trends come and go within weeks or days. So is that something that pharma is able to hop on quickly, considering that it takes so much longer to be able to actually get out a post based on having to go through 
all these other compliances prior to getting it out there? Can they actually see a trend, discover it, and be able to develop content and get it out there in a timely manner to where the trend isn't dead already? It is possible. So remember in the beginning when I'm saying you set up all the policies and processes that you set up beforehand, you have to do that. And that will help you account for situations like this, depending on, in some cases, brands want to make a statement when there's like world news happening or anything like this trending that you kind of just want to say a blanket statement or a corporate admission statement, whatever the case is, that you have to essentially train your regulatory and your account teams to understand that like, this has to move quickly. And in cases where you have new brands who are just opening on social, that is a little bit tough for them that they can't move things in a day or two. But I have worked on brands who have been on social for a while and know that at their moments when we have to be timely and can move something through the system very quickly in order to get approvals. Again, those are the brands who have been on social for a while. They've been doing it. They already have all those processes and making sure that the right person and every team is seeing it so that they can move it swiftly. But it is possible. That's great. Before we kind of close, there's so many brands that are so hesitant to be on social just because of the difficulties that come with it. What is something that you would say to a brand that is extremely hesitant to actually begin to start that social media presence? The one thing that I always say is whether you're on social media or not as a brand doesn't matter. Your brand is still on social media because I have never found unless it literally just launched a brand that has not been mentioned on social media. There might not be a lot of mentions, but there are definitely going to be mentions. So this conversation is happening about your brand. Patients are sharing information. HCPs are sharing information. And you have no say in what they're saying and you have no influence in it. So to not be on social media is to allow a conversation to happen about you without you. Absolutely. It's all about meeting your audience where they are and being able to have that dialogue and conversation with them rather than them having it without you. So that's very important. So thank you so much, Zakia, for this super insightful discussion of pharma and social. You can subscribe to Truth Well Spoken on your podcast network of choice. And if you have anything you want to hear on a future episode, you can feel free to email us at podcast at mccannhealth.com. Our podcast producers are Kendall Coletti, Dina Ragab, Jay Wachowski, Dina Rayow, Natalie Mercer, Griffin Campbell, and Melissa Kaczynski. Until next time, I'm Kendall Coletti, and this has been Truth Well Spoken.